we should absolutely appreciate that we have some incredible, incredible minds as part of our history. And that's the thing, there isn't an autistic history written at the moment, and there really needs to be one, you know? Because you could go to school and you could, or like, you could send your children to school or whatever, you know, and, and learn about these things, but they're going to be taught about Albert Einstein. They're not going to be taught about Albert Einstein, the autistic genius. That was from my conversation exploring the walk of life with a man who lived with undiagnosed autism for the first 41 years of his life, Ross Frazier. Equipped with a new understanding, Ross has created the website mylifeautistic.com and works to promote awareness, acceptance, and admiration for neurodivergent people. Ross talks openly about the confusion and rejection he felt throughout his life and the variety of challenges he's overcome. Ross also talks about the beautiful life he has built with his wife and daughter in Scotland. This is a truly unique interview and it is a favorite one of mine. Ross is an incredibly strong and kind soul who I am humbled to have had the chance to interview. As always, thank you to Misha Zarens for the music in today's show. Welcome to the Walk Show Podcast, Ross Fraser. How are you doing this evening? Hi, man. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me on. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm good, man. Um, yourself? I'm also well. I'm also well. Thank you. Um, Ross, I, I was really interested to have you on the show. You reached out to me a few months ago. I think I was, I'm, I'm a member of a few different groups um, where podcasters can connect with guests and mm-hmm. and you'd reached out to me and and, and shared your website, which is uh, mylifeautistic.com um, and just, you know, said that you would be interested in, in coming on the show. And I was really compelled immediately to, to have you on. So really, really excited to have you here. Um, and I, I kind of want to just talk about your own personal journey and, and, and then where we are now. Yeah. Um, so you, uh, you live in Scotland, is that correct? Yeah, I do, yeah. And you lived with undiagnosed autism for 40, the first 41 years of your life. Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, the, the crazy thing about that is I actually went to a special needs secondary school as well. So I went undiagnosed with autism, dyslexia, ADHD, and there, there's actually dyscalculia. There, there, there's a few other ones that I've discovered since, um, and the school didn't pick up any of it. Not one. Yeah, well, so that's what I wanted to ask. I mean, if you don't mind, would you mind kind of just sharing what it was like growing up with autism and it not being something that was understood at all? And, and, and I guess even by yourself, so it's not like you you knew what it was, but what was that experience like? I mean, just to kind of come at this another way and then I'll detour back. Yeah. Um, you don't really, you know you're different. You, you, that's abundantly clear. Um, you know you're different, but you don't know why you're different. And you start thinking things like you're going crazy or, I mean, there's a few times that I thought the world was crazy or I was because I communicate in a different way. And, you know, people would say things that made absolutely no sense to me and then walk away and kind of stood, try to figure out what's going on, you know. But right. communication between other people seemed so easy. And it's those little things that stand out to you. Nothing, you know, there's nothing huge that kind of says, oh, you know, you're autistic. But at the same time, every day there, there's little things that 
kind of give you that indication, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's yeah, it's kind of it's kind of weird having to wait to such an age just to know who you are. Um, right. Because I mean that. I had a conversation with somebody and they were saying about, you know, with autism or autistic, how to identify. And I said that to me, it's always going to be autistic because it's a core component of your, your identity, who you are. Um, and I think if you have to wait half your life or something to find that out, that's, that just means you're not getting to live it. That's the problem, you know? Um, right. So school was very tough. I, I was picked on a lot at school, um, uh, to the point actually the age of 13 when I was on a camping trip, um, somebody dragged my sleeping bag into a campfire while I was sleeping, one of the kids. Uh, wow. So I've had PTSD for 30 years, just over 30 years. Um, and it was undiagnosed for 29 of them, so I didn't even know. I was having panic attacks, waking up in panic attacks in the morning and not really understanding why, you know. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of revelations finding out at an old age or an older age, should I say? Um, because you just, you start getting the gap, you start getting the information you've been missing all that time. You start understanding about sensory triggers and the fact that you communicate different and, you know, you're hyper aware because we've got, a, I believe we've got, you know, when it comes to the brain, you've got the, the right side and the left side, yeah? Mm-hmm. Well, I believe that there's more connections between a neurotypical brain than there is an autistic one. Um, and I think the re- what that does is it allows consciousness to go across both sides, the neurotypical, and the same with instincts. So your instincts are, are spread across both sides of your brain. Whereas when you're autistic, I believe the instinctual side is actually your right side, which is responsible for creativity, you know, for spatial awareness, all the things that kind of cause autistic triggers, you know, like somebody getting too close to you, um, not being aware of somebody in your surroundings and then suddenly being aware of them, you know, little things like that. Um, Mm. So that you can get really, I mean, I used to hate going in queues. It was a bank, I remember, um, where I would stand outside sometimes for two hours waiting for the queue to disappear so I could just go and, you know, get my money and come out again. Um, mm. Because by the time I got into the middle of the queue, I was completely surrounded by people and I would have a panic attack. I just, I couldn't cope with it. Um, and it's, it's weird living in a world that was never designed for you, that's too loud, that's too bright, that's, you know, colours are too strong. People communicate in a different way and expect you to, to do the same, even though you may not have actually learned how to. I mean, I didn't do that until last year, and it was only because one of my really close friends, she realized, and um, she started sending me text messages, but was doing like sometimes 50 a day um, to force me to have this conversation, this prolonged conversation that we had mm-hmm. over three months. And I have to admit, at the beginning, you know, she would send me a, a message and I would no clue how to respond to it at all. Um, and then 10 minutes later, you know, another message, oh, are you okay? Checking on me and then taking it a different direction, you know, and I deeply appreciate that because I couldn't have done any of this without her, you know. I couldn't have done anything without that friendship and 
being able to communicate to that level because I never had the people in my life to get there before now, you know? Yeah. So I, I, I was, I, I watched a, a video and I couldn't tell you the name of it or how long ago it was, but it was a video explaining um, at least a version of, of um, how autism might affect a person. Yeah. And it showed the example that they gave was they showed a, a movie scene and in the movie scene, there's people um, sitting around a dinner table and the conversation starts to become um, kind of an argument. Mm -hmm. And then eventually one of the people gets up and goes to a closet and, and gets a gun. And that's where the scene stopped, at least in this video that I was watching. Mm. And for most people watching it, or I shouldn't say for non-autistic people watching it, they're paying attention to the, the facial expressions of the people getting angrier as this argument is escalating. Right. And right. then when the person goes and gets the gun, it's it, like, that is the, the focal point of the scene now, right. Is that the gun is there. And what this video is explaining was that, um, through using eye tracking technology, they were able to, to put, to put this technology on, on an autistic person and have them watch it. And they just aren't watching the same things. So yeah. it's, it's not that they don't understand what's happening at all, but it's like for them, the, the facial expressions changing aren't, they're not keyed in on that in the same way. And when the person like goes and gets the gun, they're aware that they're doing that, but, but they're not necessarily aware of the significance of the gun being more significant than anything else that's happening. So it's, yeah. it's almost like it's difficult to parse out what is supposed to be important in that scene. Does that make sense at all? What I'm describing? And oh no, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, basically I'll break that down in another way and, and kind of explain it another way. Um, yeah. A lot of autistic people have what is basically referred to as, um, you know, blindness of facial expressions. We, we simply can't read them. Um, I mean, you can learn it. There are some people I've met who are really good at it, but I don't think it's it's really a natural thing for us. Um, I think we kind of, we're just more direct. We go more on what's said. When it comes to body language, it's, and I think actually, to be honest with you, I can read a neuro divergent person's body language really well. Ah. I can't read a neurotypical person, even my wife, you know, I can't read her body language. But if it came to somebody who was autistic or dyslexic or ADHD, yeah, I, I don't have a problem with that. So I mm. think it's just, <laughs> I think it's, you read the body language that you're used to. It's a, it's a recognition of self right. rather than, actual I'm able to read body language because if that was the case you know non-autistic people would be able to read body language of autistic people and it doesn't happen right do you see what I mean um and when you were saying about the gun you know there's there's not enough context there we're used to people shouting that does cause instinctual reactions you know negative reactions it does cause anxiety and things but we can hear that every single day I mean, just for an example, you know, I might wake up from a nap, you know, I don't sleep very well with the pain and stuff. So I might wake up from a nap and six o'clock at night comes through and my wife's watching a film, you know, and 
consciously I can go, oh, she's watching Saving Private Ryan, but inside my head it's like, you know, you're hearing that shit, there's a fucking war going on out there, mate, you know? <laughs> Your instincts right. are going crazy because to them it's it's happening. Whether, you know, you can rationalize or not, it doesn't matter because it's an instinctual response to the world we live in. And, the, the, you know, that's a huge problem because that can happen anywhere, anytime. School, mm. you know, like I said, soaps are absolute nightmare. I, I don't understand soaps at all. I don't get the concept of watching a show where a guy could quite easily say, you know, well, last year I was kidnapped six times, you know, my dog was run over, but it was a pretty good year. You know, it wasn't bad. I mean, considering the years before, you know, that one was good. You know, I, I, don't, get, I don't get this negativity in the world. It's, yeah. And it seems to be getting worse as well. Um, so con when you're talking about context and, and something like that, that's kind of how we see the world every day is quite an aggressive place, quite a loud, you know, abrasive place at times. Um, so to, taking that without more context to do with the gun, it wouldn't stand out as being, because the other thing as well, you know, you can go on PlayStation and see people with guns. You can go on magazines and Facebook and, you know, it's not these days, it's not an uncommon sight, you know? Yeah, it's almost, I mean, to some extent what you're describing is it's almost, and this is an oversimplification and, and probably just wrong to some extent, but... No, I do that kind of thing all the time, don't worry about it. But what it makes me think of, it, it's almost just like, in in the modern world, um, so much of the interactions that we have with people, especially if it's if it's someone that's not already close to us, there's a, there's a facade right there's like a charade that's happening uh, yeah all of the time I get you and it's almost like for for someone with autism like the charade just it's like what are what is what is any of that supposed to mean because you're not wrong that the world is actually very aggressive and there is a lot going on all the time and there is tragedy and violence around all the time and it's almost like it's almost like when people are exchanging pleasantries at the grocery store like they're just pretending that all of that is not, not. It does not seem that way, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like if we just ignore it, everything will be okay. And you know, my mind's too clearly defined. It's, there's too much of a logic to it that that doesn't work with me. You know, right. putting aside a problem and not finding the solution isn't fixing the problem. It, it's ignoring it, and that right. seems to happen in so many parts of society. You know, we do see the world in a completely different way because we have a much more binary thought process. So everything's yeah. either right or wrong. Everything's either just or unjust. And you look at the world around you and you're like, there's not a lot that falls on the positive there, you know, and most of it falls on the negative. And, you know, I'm not wanting to start a huge scandal over the internet in an argument, but I don't get the justice system at all. I don't get this concept that, justice is whoever can tell the best story and that the truth isn't definable and isn't, you know, resolute. It, it, it doesn't make sense to me because it's just yeah. not the way I think. It's not the way I process information or I see the world. And I think the reason why it can be so disabling is because to a mind that requires positives to get the positives out of it, to live in a world that's surrounded by negatives, you have to fight for that. 
I mean, you really have to fight for that. Um, yeah. And it, it's, I mean, that's why I'm, I'm trying to do this campaign. That's that's kind of where it all came from. Um, because I thought if I can put some positives into community, show that it's possible from my situation, you know, being housebound, damaged spine and all that kind of stuff, living with constant pain, you know, if I, if I can push myself to the point where I can put some real positives into into the community and into the future, then why can't others do the same, you know? Why can't my life autistic become some huge, I don't know, global, um, I'm trying to think of the word, um, sorry. Like a platform, not, maybe? Not chat, but like Greenpeace or, you know, that kind oh, of okay. thing. Oh, okay, yeah. Global organization. The yeah. Autistic people can link into and be part of all across the world. I mean, I would love that, you know? Right. I mean, I don't feel like I've really had access to my life. So if my life comes down to leaving a positive legacy for the community, you know, I'm happy with that. I can live with that, you know? Yeah. Because it meant something. There was a reason for everything, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I watched, you have a, a YouTube channel, um, and I'll be sure to have a link to your website and to your link tree in the in the show notes for people to just click on all this directly and, and see it for themselves. But yeah, I appreciate it. you had a YouTube uh, video from earlier this month uh, we're speaking here in April oh, and, yeah. um, yeah, okay. and April is autism awareness month. Um, mm -hmm. and you, in your video and I'm, I'm summarizing here, so <laughs> forgive me, oh, but fine. part of the sentiment was that, that like, yeah, people know that autism exists and that there are autistic people, but that largely most people, and I'm in this camp certainly don't understand what it's like to live with autism like what it means yeah. to actually have that um and so i i thought i wondered if you would be willing to maybe kind of explain th what you were talking about in that video here again a bit because i thought it was a really interesting point mm -hmm. and and i just yeah i think it's i think it's good for people to hear um to hear that sentiment well I mean, when it comes to acceptance whether it's cultural you know whether it's identity, there always seems to be that period, doesn't it, where, you know, a, a period of adjustment, I suppose you can call it, it shouldn't be necessary. I mean, people should be accepted to be who they are, but there does seem to be that period. But when it comes to autism, that period's already been 60 years, you know? Right. There's been autism awareness months for 60 years already. And if something doesn't change now, if we don't get, I mean, you know, everybody's saying that the next step is autism um, acceptance. But as far as I'm concerned, you know, people have been diagnosed now. I mean, just going into history, you know, I, I wish I had my phone nearby and it would give you a, a clearer list, but you can check it online. But if you look for um, famous people that have been diagnosed, you know, Michelangelo has been diagnosed. Um, Nikola Tesla has been diagnosed, Albert Einstein has been diagnosed, um, Thomas Jefferson has been diagnosed, you know. Wow. The, the, these, Lewis Carroll is another one. Um, oh, um, Pride and Prejudice, I think, I'm pretty sure that she was as well. The woman mm -hmm. that wrote Pride and Prejudice, can't remember I her. I can't remember the name either. No, you're good, right? <laughs> I, I, I mean, to be honest with you, if I remembered all them correct, I'm pretty impressed. But my point is that, you know, I think autistic people have two IQs because 
I think we've got a conscious IQ and I think we've got a combined IQ, which includes our instincts. But we can only use that when they're not defensive or protective. So mm -hmm. it, it actually requires being settled, being calm to be able to do that. But then if you look at the people that have been diagnosed in the past, you know, doesn't that make a hell of a lot of sense? You know, Einstein, Tesla, you know, people who were known for their mental ability. Right. And now, this time later, it's suddenly a disability. I mean, that didn't make sense to me. I didn't understand that part of it. Um, and I don't think it is. I think it's the world that's disabling. Um, I'm trying to think what the, what the question was now. But, oh, yeah, about no. autism acceptance. Yeah. Um, and I think we should just move past acceptance and just go straight to, you know, autism empowerment or autism appreciation. Because, mm -hmm. you know, one of my favorite autistic characters, and I will say, you know, legally may, may not be autistic, but in my opinion, you know, there's absolutely no doubt, um, is Sherlock Holmes. And he was written in 18, or published in 1887, you know. Mm -hmm. So how can autism be a modern, you know, disease or whatever? I hate those words, honestly. I mean, there, there, there's a whole host of them I could use that I've heard autism, you know, cognitive dis um, cognitive dysfunction and all these kind of things. I really don't like any of them. Um, right. But how can it be that if all these amazing thinkers are part of the autistic community? Do you see what I mean? And if it's yeah. true, then we should appreciate that they are part of our community. We should absolutely appreciate that we have some incredible incredible minds as part of our history and that's the thing there isn't an autistic history written at the moment and there really needs to be one yeah you know? because you could go to school and you could or like you could send your children to school or whatever you know and, and learn about these things but they're going to be taught about albert einstein they're not going to be taught about albert einstein the autistic genius you know right well and that's what so i think that i mean what what that what you just said what that makes me think about is like and i have to be careful here because i'm i don't mean to be insensitive to to other people either but to refer to it as a uh, like a disease or a disability or a dysfunction or some of those words that you were using it implies that that you have in at least in some area a a limited capacity mm -hmm. but in talking to you and, and, and certainly the examples throughout history that you've given are not people that have a limited capacity. I mean, there's some of the people that literally changed the world forever. Mm -hmm. And and I don't say this to try and just because I'm talking to you now or just to try and flatter you, but you're clearly a very intellectual, thoughtful, highly intelligent person. Like you're not, you're not confused about, well, <laughs> the world is confusing, but, but that's not because yeah. of, that's not that you, you you understand my point though it's like yeah it's not like you can't connect ideas or something so so it, it is I mean, just strange. to give you an example um as part of the campaign i i said to you at the beginning before this starts that realistically if my doctor had diagnosed me a couple hours later you know i'm not sure i would have got a high functioning label i wouldn't i'm i'm really not sure because i can go from that to being unable to speak completely, unable to function, you know, my wife has to support me and help me and, you know, I can get to that point. Um, 
and it's because the world just shuts me down. It, it becomes too much, too much sensory information and too overwhelming. But I realized I could use that as a tool. I could use that to show that a neurotypical point of view usually defines what autism is. So for a year, I showed one singular view of myself like this, you know, in, in podcasts and everything. Um, well, no, for about nine months, I think it was. And I had all my struggles. I had all the times that I couldn't speak or I was struggling to speak. You know, the times where I would have meltdowns and everything else. And I had that for a year. So if it's a cognitive disorder, I wouldn't have been able to plan something which literally meant I was doing a reverse Kaiser Soze to the world for a year. Well, you know, nine right. months or whatever. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I've been planning it before that, but, right. you know, it, it, what I've done is taken a huge amount of planning, pretty much thinking about it every day for the last year and a half. Um, and that was part of my point, that if it's this cognitive you know, disorder or whatever, then explain how I've only managed to do this by changing my environment. It's all I've done. I control my environment incredibly carefully. I try and avoid, you know, sensory things and unfortunately issues are going to crop up. We've got builders and contractors out at the moment, which means I'm waking up to panic attacks every morning because of sensory overwhelm and, you know, it's the world that disables an autistic person. And if we want to see the community thrive, if we want to see, you know, what autistic people are really capable of, that has to change. Because right. we can't fit a world that keeps impacting us every day, you know, sometimes every second of every day. How do you adjust for that? Right. It's right. just not possible. And the other problem we've got is that our um, senses take in information automatically. So the more people the more conversation, the more input, you know, the more noise, the more clutter, the harder it is to hear, the harder it is to process, you know. And you could be walking down the street now and have people talking away, you know, another side of the conversation on the phone. My hearing is really sharp, you know. I, I don't even need to be in the same room and I hear the vibration go off from my phone. I could wow. be um, two, three rooms away and I'll still hear it. You know, and that's the problem, that my hearing is going to be a lot sharper than yours. But that means I'm taking in a lot more information as well, because there's just a huge, you know, a larger radius mm. of information I can take in. And I can't filter any of that. I'm too aware of my other side of my mind, you know. Right. I've got this deep mental connection, and I think it's a gift. I think it's absolutely a positive thing. I think being autistic is great when I have control when the world doesn't have control. And that's the tricky bit, is finding mm. that balance where you can keep an environment within just the realms that you're able to live within as much as anything. It's not even, you know, make it perfect because you're never going to get that. Um, but I mean, I'll just give you an example. I've got a train station on one side of me and I've got... Um, a fire station on the other side and if on the website there one of them one of the posts on my blog called contrast there's a picture of me completely shut down and all that happened was a train whistle from one side came at the same time 
with a fire engine siren came from the other side. And that, that point in which they met in the middle was so overwhelming that it just it instantly shut me down. You know, mm. that's all it was. You know, a couple of noises outside. And yeah. How long does that last when that happens? Like when you have a moment like that where you shut down? Um, it depends or? on how much I've been pushing myself. It depends on how settled days have been before, whether I've had a meltdown. It's being autistic is conditional all the time on everything. Um, mm. You know, there's no real definable answer because it depends on what's happening on any given day. Um, like, I, I hate going to my daughter's school. I really dislike it because you go to the playground, there's nowhere really to stand. People are everywhere. You know, it's too loud. It's too intense. And all I really want to do is just go to the playground and give my, give my daughter a cuddle when she finishes school, you know? Yeah. Um, it's it's It feels like you're constantly restricted just because you're autistic living in this world. Um, and I don't know what to do about that. I don't know what the answer is, and that's why the New Life Autistic campaign was was what I thought the world needed. You know, we need yeah. that we can have millions of autistic voices and caregivers, and loads of opinions, and and find what people have found, you know, individual solutions for them. Because that's I think what we really need is how we can start adjusting this world now, you know, today. We, we yeah. need government assistance to be able to, you know, make it permanent and things, but we need solutions right now, we really do. Um, yeah. Because I, I'm 43 now, and I feel like I've had access to my life for a year and a half, and I think that's absolutely crazy. curious if you would be willing to share about the story of how you met your wife and how how that dynamic worked prior to the diagnosis because it seems pretty remarkable that she um yeah was was able to have that same connection without maybe understanding or did she have an understanding and again i don't mean to keep rambling please <laughs> share. No, um, no my, my wife's my north star mate i mean she guides me back every time i i go adrift or lost you know She's she's honestly an amazing woman. Um, we met about four months after I injured my spine, um, mm. and uh, I mean that's never going to heal. That that just is what it is now. Um, and I, I'd already had a really dark life, so that injury was just 
it felt every time I was actually getting somewhere in my life, something would happen and it would completely derail and I would be starting from scratch again. Um, and that, that was a quite a constant for me. I mean, I've been home, well, homeless three times before that. Um, I think that was actually my fourth. And I was put up in, um, in a flat, uh, well, a house share for a, a brief period by my boss, you know, um, just so I had somewhere to be. Because we were in the caravan before that. You can imagine being in a caravan with a spinal injury isn't exactly the best place to be. Um, right. So I went into this house share and there was one night where I'd had physio. The pain was just absolutely relentless. Couldn't cope with it. And I went on to an O2 chat room, which wasn't something I would normally do. I didn't seek out people because I just wasn't used to them being there. Um, but that night I needed a distraction and just watching TV wasn't working. I needed to talk to someone, you know, just have that human connection. And I started talking to my wife. And she'd actually been in physio the same day. She has... Um, uh, wrist deformity um, on the bone from the armor and um, she's essentially got like a brittle bone condition um, she can break her bones very easily so okay. she has to be very careful um, so she was in physio that day and so was I we started talking and within 10 weeks um, we were engaged I actually wanted to propose to her within about 2 weeks to be honest with you because there were t- I just, I'd never met a woman like her. She was so compassionate and understanding and, mm. you know, I mean, there was days sometimes where I couldn't really speak or, or communicate much. So we would just cuddle up in bed or on the sofa and watch TV, you know. It, I think there's something about finding somebody in life that you don't need words with. You know, mm-hmm. there's a comfort there. There's a security there that you just get by them being near you, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's what I got with her. Very, very early stage, that's what I got with her. Um, so we we got married in um, 2009 and we had our, our daughter in 2011. Mm. Um, and I never thought I would have a family. I never thought I would have a long-term relationship or any mm. of these things. I always wanted it. But, you know, when basic friendships seem outreach, how are you going to get a long, complicated, you know, committed right. relationship, intimate relationship? So I have to admit my wife had, had her hands full because she had to essentially make intimacy come comfortable um and i'm not just talking about the bedroom i'm talking about you know cuddles and holding hands and things like that because for somebody with a proximity like when he's around people that has to feel incredibly safe for, for me to do that um yeah. there are times where i have panic attacks at the moment where i'm literally you know hand up across my chest where she knows she can't come anywhere near me she has to avoid me as much as possible um and that's after 14 years of marriage, almost 15 years of marriage. I'm still yeah. like that. And that's that's an instinctual response. I'll never be able to change that. But she understands that's who I am. She accepts that. You know, and I, I love her so deeply for just being her, you know? Yeah. She's, that's really beautiful. Yeah. I. Oh, mate, I wouldn't have been able to do any of this without her. 
Yeah. Her, her and my two best friends, we're both female. Um, one's a, a mum to two autistic children, and the other one's a mum who's worked with autistic adults for years, uh, for about 10 years. And their friendships and my, my wife's, you know, her relationship, it changed my world, absolutely. No, undeniably, you know. Three yeah. people literally turned my, my life from night to day. You know, and yeah. I think that that's the message I try and send as well. That three relationships absolutely changed my life completely. I'm still in pain. You know, I've still got a spinal injury. I'm never going to be able to change that. But they brought so much love and laughter into my life, and support, encouragement, compassion. You know, if the rest of the community got that, then we wouldn't need awareness or acceptance. We'd be accepted. You know, right. yeah, it's 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 amazing how the void of relationships means that you get a really good one. It it, it can change everything. Yeah. yeah. Well, I have to say also, um, it it's also just to me it's it just speaks to the and it's not every person. I don't think everyone is is the same or has this capacity, but. It's just a, it's just incredible, frankly, that that you yourself. I mean, as you just said, you know, you've really only felt like you've had access to your full life for the last, you know, year and a half or, or so. Yeah. And so to be, to be in that, in that darkness for that long, and only, only very recently emerge from it. And the moment you emerge from it, the first thing, your first instinct, is to just try and help other people. Right, like your first instinct yeah. is like, how can I make this better? Um, I'm just thinking if that hadn't included the internet, things would have been so much easier. But yeah, yeah <laughs> <laughs> I'm suddenly looking at the internet, going, oh, "Okay, you're a lot bigger than I thought you were." Okay, what's it? And the funny thing is, people are talking to me about these things like I should be completely aware of them already. You know, like, yeah, oh, you've seen the new TikTok, and I'm like, what? What, what 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 are you talking about, man? You know, oh, yeah. And you know the other one. I, you may not be aware of this because this seems to be in disabled circles and autistic circles and things like that. But there's a um, a theory that says that when you're neurodivergent, you get so many spoons a day, and interactions that take things out of you is giving away a spoon, right? So okay. say you start with 10 spoons and each interaction you have drains you. By the time you get, you know, the end of the day, you may be absolutely drained and have nothing left. Um, but nobody told me that. So I came on the internet into all these circles and everybody's like, oh, you know, I'm all out of spoons today. And I'm like, well, stop giving them away, dude. Why are you giving away cutlery? What is going on, man? Is this some OCD thing? Like, you know, like what is going... And I get that with everything. I thought the Flintstones were gay. Because in the lyrics, it says, you know, modern Stone Age family, gay old time. It's like, I thought it was two gay couples who lived next door to each other so they could have a relationship. And the, and the, the weird thing about that, right, is that I was watching it, and it, it made complete sense. There was no time that that ever fell out of place, right? I'm where the, the house of cards all fell down. I was having a conversation in my friend's kitchen. 
And I'm honestly, man, I will remember this for the rest of my life. And we're talking about the Flintstones. And I was like, yeah, well, the thing I never got was which adopted child was which? You know, which had the two mums and which had the two dads? And she just looked at me blankly for about two minutes. And I'm thinking, you know, okay, I've missed something here. Right. Something's going to really change in this moment in time, and I've got no idea what it is. But oh, I, don't, I wasn't expecting that one. Like, so yeah, apparently they're straight. Who knew? You know? Right, right. That's a that's so, oh, that is dude, hilarious. Some yeah. of the revelations. It turns out the reason women thought I was offensive for years, right, is because I repeated jokes from Scrubs. Right, ah. from from bloody Turk and JD in Scrubs, <laughs> and they were in front of women. So I always thought it was okay because you know Elliot was standing there, and you know Carla was too. So everything seemed okay. I didn't have the relationship, so that nobody gave me this information. I didn't have the guidance, you know. So right. yeah, so for years I was repeating jokes like that, thinking that's how neurotypical people communicated, because the way <laughs> I communicated didn't work. So I was copying these bloody things, getting myself in trouble all the time, being called offensive. That's why I only learned to communicate last year, because I finally had the conversation that made sense of all this shit, you know? Right, and right. Finally, it was kind of like, oh, shit, right, really? It's like my friend was telling me about, um, about uh, you know, I should be careful as Jones author here, but about men sending dick pics randomly to women. And I'm like, what the fuck? Man, they're not postcards. You shouldn't be sending them to a woman, you know, we wish you were here written on the bottom of it. Like, what the fuck? You know, I right. don't understand this. This isn't the way I see the world. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, oh, dude, revelation after revelation, man. Uh, I, would, I would like to interject that as a neurotypical uh, individual, at least as far as I'm aware, I also think that the dick pic thing is really I'm so glad, so, mate. Yeah, so it's, <laughs> not, it's, not, it's not just you. Or we're on the same page on that one for sure, dude. <laughs> and I honestly, I, I wish I would have. You would have been aware of it, though. You would have been aware of the concept. You would, you would have known all this kind of stuff happened. Yes. Yeah. Well, I only found this out last year. <laughs> I found all of this stuff out last year. Yeah. So this last year. Oh, dude, this last year has been like completely. It's like one just. Oh, honestly, mind-blowing revelation. There's no other way after Just one after another after another. And I still can't believe that women thought it was offensive. And it comes down to bloody Mickey the motherfucker, that big-eared bastard. Like, I said, oh, dude, I don't get this. I don't get my life. And if I wrote my life down and I said, this is all true, <laughs> and I hadn't built up to this, you know, little by little, if I had actually just released a book, nobody would have believed it. Right. You know? And the really, really, really strange thing is that I now feel like I'm in a Back to the Future movie because I was watching the same media for 20 years. The world's moved on 20 years now, and Fry from Futurama has become the most relatable character there is. It's like, I, you know, that shouldn't be possible. That dad should not be possible, you know? <laughs> oh, dude. Fair. Yeah, everything's new to me. TikTok, Facebook, you know, everything was new to me. And I'm learning it all as I go. Um, yeah. And I've somehow got like four 400,000 views in six, seven months. Um, awesome. I have no idea how I've done that. Like, you know, it's, that's the thing in doing this. It's like, you know, I tried to do one thing and I seemed to end up doing ten things and achieved them all without even really meaning to. 
it, I kind yeah. of stumbled into things. Um, like I put out a PTSD campaign for Ukrainian refugees because right. I thought it was really important. I was looking at news and stuff and everybody was focused on the physical. Nobody was focused on the mental at all. And as somebody who's had PTSD for almost 30 years, you know, you're talking about an entire country pretty much that's, that's guaranteed to have PTSD. And yeah. if you don't give them the support now, if you don't start reducing the impact of that, that's a, potentially a child that's going to be saddled with that for the rest of their life, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've loved doing things like that. I, I kind of fell into this. I I wouldn't have become a children's writer if I knew that I was going to end up becoming a human rights activist, I have to admit, because there is a lot of things I have to talk about. But I will be really honest and say that everybody's been very respectful of that. There is subject that I need to talk about as a human rights activist that, you know, a children's author wouldn't normally talk about, but... It's right. important that the realities of an autistic life are shown, um, yeah, because that's often what's not seen, and it's a neurotypical viewpoint of what an autistic person is. You know, yeah. we don't need people to speak for us. We need environments that feel safe so we can speak for ourselves. You know, yeah, um, and as somebody that took all his life to to find his voice to be able to do that, that's why I do this. Because yeah. the community needs to find a voice, they need to be able to express themselves about being called rude and offensive, and assuming that they've had a life that actually gives them information, which is required to fit within society, you know. Right. And the thing that really gets to me about that more than anything, I mean, it can be so disruptive in somebody's life, but the thing that gets to me more than anything when it comes to that is it just takes a few more questions. That's it. You know, right. it, it just takes ensuring that your perception, your assumption matches reality, you know. But too many people don't do that. They just make assumptions and slam doors, you know. And when you've had that your entire life, you don't get connections. You don't get relationships. You don't get friends. You know, you don't get a human experience. You get a life which in the autistic community means that we're nine times more likely to commit suicide than somebody neurotypical of the same age. Mm. I mean, that's that right through, that's comparative ages, right through nine times more likely to commit suicide because we end up with these lives that feel separated from the world, feel disconnected, and that you're kind of always kept at arm's length. And we're different, but our differences shouldn't lead to that. Nobody's differences should lead to that, you know? Right. Yeah, it's, it's a strange world when you have a very defined sense of justice and values. And, you know, I'd, uh, if I could change things tomorrow and make this world positive for everybody, I absolutely would. You know, yeah. no, no doubt in my mind, because there's too much pain now. It's it's like hurt people use hurtful words. And we've got some kind of emotional daisy chain going on where one person gets hurt, hurts somebody else, they hurt somebody else, they hurt somebody else, and it never stops. And, no. you, you know, and it's not even online, although it's, it's really obvious online. But no. look at the history books, you know. If you look at a snapshot of the last 500 years of history, all the lessons are there. Everything we need to avoid, everything we need 
to bring humanity together is there. And we have the tool, this amazing, incredible thing in the internet. And it's used for tearing people down, bullying, you know, for scaring cats with cucumbers. No, no, use it for conversations. Use it for something positive. Use it for, you know, bringing people together again, a worldwide community. Wouldn't that be incredible? Yeah. You know? And all it takes is looking at somebody for the value for their mind, for who they are, you know, internally. Forget the external. It's not important. It is really not. It's a vehicle for the, the mind. That's all it is, you know? Um and I don't get this fascination with bodies. I really don't, you know. I think bodies are fascinating, don't get me wrong. But from a purely biological standpoint, you know, um, from the way they work and things like that, the fact that a woman's organs can actually move when she's pregnant. I mean, I think that, that's absolutely amazing. Um, but this kind of view of a person just at what you can see I don't get that. And the thing that really upsets me about it is if you look at, say there's two sides to things, right? Say there's, you can look at somebody for the physical or for the mental. If you look at somebody for the mental, someone like, um, oh, um, this would be, have to be the time my, my memory went out of me, wouldn't it? Um, the physicist, um, that was in the wheelchair. Um, he was on. Oh, Stephen Hawking. Stephen Hawking. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah. So if you look for the mental, Stephen Hawking was an absolutely incredible man. He had a great sense of humor. One of my favorite jokes I'd, I'd heard um, that he said was someone asked if he wanted a drink, and he said, "Yeah, just the one I'm driving there." You know, he, he was such a witty man, right. and he was so intelligent, so clever. Now, if you look at things from the, the physical only. He was a dis disabled man in a wheelchair. And right. that is so disrespectful to me because he was so much more than that. Right. You know, they, I don't get this view that people are skin colors or where they come from. Or, you know, we have a world that is a tapestry that has been made from people's differences for, you know, thousands of years. So why are we now deciding that these differences are wrong? We should be embracing them. We should be coming together, you know, looking at different viewpoints and, and seeing the world not just in a singular view, but in as wide a way as possible, you know, get as many yeah. solutions and answers. Because the other side as well is, as a father myself, if we don't start solving the, the problems we have now, all we do is pass them on to our kids. That's it, you know. We basically say that, I'm sorry, you know, world's crap but you're gonna have to deal with it you know but yeah. we can't we can't do that we, we need to stop looking at time as days to be killed you know we've got an opportunity i think to be able to rebuild communities to start bringing the focus off what's tore people apart for years you know accept somebody for who they are if they've got values and they're a decent person, accept them. You know, yeah. it's not difficult. There, 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 there's nothing challenging in that. And the other thing that, that I find really difficult is that you get somebody who's talking about acceptance and then they go and, and shun somebody else just because they, they've got a different colour of skin. You know, 
you can't have it both ways. You either accept people or you don't. And if you yeah. accept people, you should accept people that have values. And that's it. That's where the line should be. Right. Because if somebody doesn't have values, that's the people you need to, to you know, kind of focus on. You don't need to focus on people who just want to live their life. Right. Yeah. You know? No, I, I agree with all of that. Yeah. It happens yeah. too much. Sorry, this is the problem with not having my voice for years. I kind of get carried away sometimes. No, no, this is good. This is good. This is why I wanted to, to have you on, though, is to hear to hear these things and to hear your thoughts and to hear your insights. Because as you just said, I mean, the, you know, literally what you were just saying, is it, at least at the beginning of that, was that autistic people don't need someone else to talk for them. We need to hear from autistic people and hear what their thoughts are and hear their experiences and yes. as you just articulated <laughs> very well, your own thoughts and experiences. So no, I, I, I appreciate it very much. Um, well, Ross, I, I've been absolutely humbled to have the opportunity to have you on the show this evening to, to hear your thoughts and your insights. Again, your website is mylifeautistic.com, which I will have a link to in the show notes along with your link tree um, link there. Uh, anything else that you'd like to touch on before we wrap up this evening? Um. I would like to just end with, with a kind of paraphrase of a post I put up recently. And it, people are diverse. We're, we're as diverse as war, you know. People create power, they create sustenance, they, you know, create growth. Stop looking at people like you're looking in a puddle, you know. You're, they're not, not everybody is a reflection of who you are. We, we are an amazing collection of people who think differently and I mean quite literally in some ways you know um, so we need to stop defining people as a cookie cutter society and, and humanity because it does not work like that and to do that you're only accepting a very small portion of society and this world doesn't belong to everybody it should belong to everyone sure all right. Well, Ross, again, thank you so much for your time this evening. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks, man. Down the street we came running In Missouri without a breeze Neighbors on the front porch strumming A Kool-Aid from the dollar tree Summer nights we would chase it The kids playing out in the sea Smell the brick chuckle burning A watermelon runs in dirty feet Warm boats on the fire's glow Winter 
nights we were playing board games at the supper table. Out of town, famous day, and made food was a staple. Memories of the love that you had. Help you find the love that you need. Memories of the love that you had. Help you find a Looking back, past is future's bad. Looking back, you find the key to be free. You find the key to be free. You find the key. That's all for the show today. Thank you so much to Ross for stopping by and sharing his walk of life. I also want to thank Misha Zarens for the music in today's show. And of course, thank you for listening. I'd also invite you to check out my other show, Pick Up Your Sticks, which is a video game podcast where we explore the idea of why gaming matters. And that show can be found on any podcast app. Again, thanks for the listen. Have a great week. Stay up.